0: Good morning everyone, and welcome to a special edition of a vision for you today is sunday april fifteenth two thousand and eighteen The share ID numbers for friday April thirteenth are the following: for the seven a m eastern big book study one one two nine one that's eleven thousand two hundred and ninety one and for the ten a m eastern big book study one one 295, that's 11,295. This morning, A Vision for You presents Steps 8 and 9, Repairing the Damage. Step 8, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Step 9, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Steps one, two, and three put us in the right relationship with God, a relationship where now God, not us, is to be the director. Steps four, five, six, and seven rehabilitate our relationship with our true self, removing those defects which block the access to God. Now. Are we willing to go to any lengths for our freedom from compulsive overeating? Are we willing to have a spiritual awakening to be completely transformed, to become a person we've never experienced, to live a life that's never been available to us, to be comfortable within our own skin, and to have our life really flourish and be filled with meaning? If the answer is yes, now we're ready for steps eight and nine both of which gives us an opportunity to live in harmony with our fellow human beings we go to those we've harmed acknowledge the harm specifically take responsibility for our part our side of the street and clean it up repairing the damage joining us today to speak on steps eight and step nine is ruth m a recovered compulsive overeater from missouri ruth is a student and a teacher in the big book, a loyal servant of Overeaters Anonymous, intensively working with others and carrying the message of recovery. It's with great joy. I welcome Ruth to the line. Good morning, Ruth.
1: Good morning,
2: Leah. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it again, I want to thank you and everyone for even having the opportunity to do this because uh, when I came in, I wouldn't have said I'm sorry to anybody. You couldn't have made me. Thank God you didn't tell me that at my first few meetings or I would have walked out and probably never come back because I would never, ever admit that I'd made a wrong. I'd make stuff up rather than say I was sorry. So that was revolutionary. So um, I do want to start. Um, I want to give credit where credit's due. Um, I came in program in August 20th of 1982. Um, I got abstinent on November 15th, 1986. And what uh, preceded that event because uh, I sure didn't make that happen. <laughs> One of the day I, I surrendered, that was a grace of God. But I had gone. To, uh, uh, I and some fellows gotten in a car and we had driven from St. Louis over to Kansas City because we we had heard about some two people called Joe and Charlie, and they were going to be doing a weekend retreat for AA. But we little o'ers were going to get there and we run here what they had to say because I I had, I was really wanting to understand the Big Book. I had I'd read it, but I didn't really understand it. You know, and I had been, you know, struggling. And so they said, "This, no, these are the two people you've got to listen to. So we said, fine. And we got in the car and we went over. And uh, it's so funny. We were over in the corner and we told everybody not to smoke around us because people smoked in churches and hospitals. Uh, but anyway, so they said, okay, all right, you four women. Uh, but anyway, so, uh, but I, I left their understanding that they'd broken away. I'd never understood it before. Um, it, it moved me in a way I can't describe. Um, I tried hard before then, but they gave me something that I I, I just didn't have. And it, and it wasn't through the fault of uh, any particular person. I was blocking myself with self-will. So usually, hopefully you don't take four years to... Uh, understand the big book but that was my story so when we look at this program and in following their guidance uh, most everything that you'll hear from me almost everything is not mine I plagiarize uh, in fact we're highly encouraged to plagiarize in this in this program so you'll hear from them you'll hear from some other people in program and so little is original for me Uh, But as they explained, every time they went to a new step, they would just quickly review the old steps that had gotten in there, because everything is built on the foundation below them. So the basics of this foundation is there's going to be three questions answered. And the first question is, what is the problem? We have to know what the problem is to know if we have the problem. And if we don't have the problem, anybody on the line now can just go on their merry way, you know, just hang up the phone and and go off and do what you need to do today because you're not one of us. But we have to know what the problem is. And the problem is step one. Step one is admitting we're powerless over food that our life's unmanageable. So what we have to understand is the problem is, isn't is food. We, we say it's food. But if it, the problem was food, then food, we'd all have the problem because we all eat. But not everybody, not 7 billion people right now on the planet, are addicted to food. So it's something more than the food, the substance. There's going to be something there. We admit we we're powerless over food. And when it says that first half of the step, we are referring to the physical allergy yielding a craving, Dr. Silkworth says. In the second half of the step, we say that our life's unmanageable, and that's referring to the mental obsession. So we have this two part to our disease. And so the first part is that we have to have entire abstinence so that we don't, we don't have a physical allergy and a craving. That's the foundation. That is not eating compulsively. Find out what those ingredients are in any of the foods, and then, then we cannot eat them in any way, in any form, at any time. And then we have entire abstinence, whatever those ingredients are. And a recovery sponsor can help you work with that. So once we do that, though, we still have that mental obsession we have got 11 more steps to work on that one. So, if we know what the problem is—that we are compulsive eaters—then we have to know what the solution is. We, we, we—it's not like we were curious about it. We are feeling despair, hopelessness, uh, just you know, sobbing, and and it could be—it is going to be very painful to acknowledge that, in front of certain ingredients, we grovel to it and we cannot. Not gravel to it, if we ever put it in our body, so we at this point got to know what's the solution what What can take care of this? Well, if the problem is powerlessness, then the solution is power. powerlessness is our problem, the solution is power, but this power has to be greater than us. It cannot be us because us got us to be a glutton, us got us to be here on the line today. so we have to have something greater than us. Oh, that's a big step right there because I had done everything possible and I'm sure you have too. Maybe even done a couple I haven't thought of yet to make sure we have power. In fact, many of us come into this program and I was one of them. Um, I was laughing with my, my sponsor recently. I came in program because I wanted to lose 20 pounds. That's all? Are you kidding me? Well, yeah, that's what I wanted. I had gone on a diet and lost my weight but started eating again and gained it back. And now I put on 20 pounds from that second diet. And so I came into OA to lose 20 pounds. So I came in at a pretty high bottom in my 20s. So far more than I was going to get than that. But by coming in for only that reason, to lose weight and to have a certain weight, I came in and used always a diet club. One of my amends today is to deal with that with you, is to... It's to present what the big book says because I did not come in with pure morals at all that's all I wanted and that's what I got and then I became what I called a thick the thin bitch because I had to go tell everybody how to work the program especially if they were fat uh pretty arrogant uh, but then I gained the weight back again uh, the third time I lost I mean then at the 20 pounds so the next time I lost the weight I had God had to do that and God was in charge um, so, but I needed to know what the solution was, and the solution wasn't me. And if the solution's not me, then what is the solution? That higher power. Okay, that's the answer. What is the, what is the solution? So that's step two. But then how do I get that solution? How do I get the solution? Well, that third question is answered by steps three through 12. So if I know what the problem is, And I know what the solution is. I now have a decision to make. Before, I had no decision to make because I only had one course, which is to be in the problem. But in step three now, I have a decision. I know my problem. I know my solution. I must decide to go to one or the other. And so the decision made is to go to the solution. Then if I see, okay, that's the solution I want, I then say, well, what blocks me from having that solution? Well, there's got to be something that blocks me because nobody naturally on their own becomes a glutton and spends their life through no uh addiction process okay so there's something that's going to block me and i want to know what it is that blocks me and so i do some work and i do an inventory and in step four to find out what is it that doesn't enable me to have that higher power and i have this great connection and then i go have to go talk to somebody about it right and in that, we, I learn what are those character defects,
3: character defects, wrongs,
2: shortcomings, whatever words you want to use, I learn
3: what they are.
2: And then I'm willing to let God have them because that's what's blocked me, and I want to have that relationship with God. Well, that's really good, but now at this point, I have to go and correct the relationships I've wronged with others. So as uh, and Charlie explained it, in the very center of me was self-will. And in three, I took that out and put God's will in the very center. And the next layer of that circle, the next layer, once I make that decision, in four and five, I look at my, my thoughts and my behavior. I really look at them, and that's what I've really got to clean up. Then in six and seven, the next layer around that circle, the next is my emotional state, these character defects, the emotions, so volatile and out of place layer of that the next now going further out from that center is social my interactions with others so it is an inside job I give up the food God takes it really does does take it because I'm willing not to let God have it and then that decision puts God in the center it then takes my mental and and my behavioral states cleans them up then it cleans up my emotional state and now I'm going to clean up my social state so now we are at steps eight and nine All right, so when we look and we go to page 76, which is where we start, 76 through 84, in the middle of 76, now we need more action, without which we find that faith without works is dead, and we need to look at steps 8 and 9. So it says next, we have a list of all persons we had harmed and to whom we were willing to make amends. We made it when we took inventory. Okay, so we have our list. You know, this, the, when we do the steps according to the way the big book tells us to do it, when we get to steps eight, we've already done 90% of the step. What do you mean 90%? I mean, well, it's there. Because we have, um, I used Joe and Charlie's Farms right there, we know the people we've harmed, we know, we know the cause, we see our, our, how it's affected our instincts and our exact nature of our wrongs. So we look at that and we know what, who those people are and what the harm has been. So at the end of step four, I be, when we go into to do step five, so I just say while it's all fresh in your mind, put this on one farm. Uh, whom have we harmed? You can get those farms. Um, and we just put it down and we combine it. So if I say mom on resentment and fear, you know, if I have her on more than one list, obviously we put it down one time and now just mention the cause on all the farms we have. And we just make a master list of everybody we've harmed. It's there, and we then keep it, and we put it in a safe spot because we're soon going to be at step eight. Now we're at step eight, and we pull the forms out, and there it is, a combined list of everybody that we've had some resentment, fear, and inappropriate sex conduct and thoughts, sexual thoughts too. So there they all are, and we look at that. So uh, basically when I uh, work with a sponsoree, we pull the list out, and we just go over the list. And we find that it's pretty accurate. Maybe there's one person that should not be on this list for some reason. It's possible, but not likely, but there may be for some reason. And we may find also, since we've done this, things have come to our mind, and we'll have to add a couple people. But other than that, the farm is already done for us. So we look at the farm and we say, okay, here are the people. And also places and things. It could be institutions. It could be... um, people place and but our first inventory it's almost always a lot of people but we look at that and we see the harm we've done and so with a a sponsoree we just go down that list and we say okay now I'll say to them well how are you going how are you going to make amends to them and the person will tell me and we'll discuss and talk about it and um, and then the person will make a note there of what, how to make the amends. And we just simply go down the list, and that's our step eight. The per- we just get guidance, and we now look, and we see what it is, and now we're ready to now go and, and correct the wrongs we've done. It's actually no, no more complicated than that, the list. Uh, people are not so upset with the, the step nine. Uh, the step eight is the step nine we get upset about because now we actually have to do what we say we're going to do. No, in eight, I'll say that some people maybe are just they're, maybe they're introverts. It's difficult for them to really speak in general. They get kind of you know. So then, okay, let's write a letter and just write it down and and, I, and I'll listen to it. And you can make a draft until you feel comfortable. And worst case scenario, when you get nervous and you're not sure and you think you're going to leave something out, you just look down and say, oh, you know, I'm 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 a little nervous. Let me just read this or just or just read the letter. Now now you've got out what you need to do, okay. So if that's necessary. Uh, But basically, we don't go out. I've had people say, oh, I'm at stake in step one, and I'm going to just leap over all the steps and run out and go say I'm sorry to somebody in step nine. Oh, my gosh, no, no, no. The reason you take nine is because you've now done eight the way the big book tells you to do it. But now we're ready. On the third line in page 77, it says, our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about it. So I can say for myself and many people, if we don't clean up our relationship, what we have there, it could be ongoing resentment and fear, but I find a lot of guilt. I mean, I had guilt. Now that I finally looked at my part of it, I felt guilty. Um, And I still had some residue of shame in here. So I had to clean that up. I had to be right with myself and my God. So... In doing the amends, we are cleaning up with them what we've done wrong, but it is so that we have cleaned it up with ourselves and with God. And now we're at peace with ourselves and God. And what's left of this guilt and shame, if these steps are done appropriately in the order in which they're to be done, now after step eight, then much, much of that leaves. And and we can look the world in the eye. We don't do it so that we look well. Nah, no, it's just the natural consequence of humbly, as best we can, to say I'm sorry. So as I was taught, and I'll, I'll give you this five little step, little things. And uh, steps don't have to take a long time. It's quality, not quantity, here. And we know all about quantity. That's what gluttony is. So we know about talking on and on or not talking. But it's really to the point. So these are the five points for me when I make an amends. And the first point is a specific statement of the offending behavior. Well, Why do we say a specific statement of the offending behavior? The person has to know what in the world you're there for. I never said I was sorry to anybody about anything. So it was a puzzlement that Ruth would show up knocking on your door and asking to talk to you about making amends. That right there is going to confuse a lot of people based on my personality. If we go to the top of page 83, it says at the very top, yes, there's a long period of reconstruction ahead. We must take the lead. But here's the line, a remorseful mumbling that we are sorry won't fill the bill at all. So when I come to somebody, I can't just say something so generic that it applies to, you know, 73% of the people I've ever encountered in my life in a way that they wouldn't really know exactly what it is I'm there for. And so we have to humble self more. We can't just have a remorseful mumbling. We have to be a specific statement of offending behavior. So uh for my sister I could I could start, you know, I want to make amends and I could say, you know, I was mean towards you, but I can't that's that's a generic statement. Well, most of us have been mean towards a sibling at one point in our life, so okay. Uh, but then I will give a specific example. You know that time, you know, I, I hit you so hard that you fell against the corner of the cabinet and broke off half of your front tooth. I mean, I, I, I was mean
3: to you. I, 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 was,
2: I was violent towards you. I was bigger, and, and I did that, and that was wrong. That and even the things I said. So I'm being a very specific example. I need to have an so that it nails it down. They know why I am there talking to them not just a generic mumbling that I'm sorry about something in general about me. The next point I have to tell them, an acknowledgement that it was harmful. So it's not enough to just say the behavior. I acknowledge that I I did something that was harmful to them because I'm not there about anything they've done. It says in here... We clean off our side of the street, not theirs. We don't bring up anything the other person has done. I mean, they may do it later, but at this point, we're telling them it was harmful. It was harmful. I never told you that, but it was harmful. And in my heart, I know it was harmful. The third point I have to tell them: it's uh, I the, the I'm assuming all the responsibility, both the behavior I did and the harm I did. So I'm assuming it. I'm not going to let it be somehow, well, you caused it to happen or, you know, you know how you are. No, I tell them, I assume I am responsible for both my behavior and harm done. Regardless of what they did, I'm responsible. Then the fourth point I have to say, an admission of regret. I am sorry. I do regret this should never have done this to you. And the last thing I need to do is make a commitment to not repeat the behavior. And if necessary, restitution. Commitment to not repeat the behavior. If I say, you know, this is what I did, it was harmful to you. I'm responsible for the harm and behavior. And it was mine. I regret that I've done this well, if I go and repeat behavior, that's hypocrisy. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry if I do it again. I cannot come to a person and then immediately turn around and do it. It is better never to have done it than to say I'm sorry and then to, by my actions, show that I'm not sorry at all. So the behavior has to stop. And of course, if there's restitution to making this, then that will be done. Say you stolen money or something like that, yes. Then you're gonna have to set up paying the money, or if you can't, a payment plan where you follow through on what you say you'll do and pay so much at a set time as agreed between you and that person. So these five points have to be said. Now does it take a long time to say that? No, you can say that one to two minutes. The key isn't the key is it's with sincerity. The heart has softened. I had a stone heart. My heart was made of own when I came in I came in with an attitude that you know if I it's it's all on me I'm responsible for me I will succeed on my own efforts if you don't succeed on your efforts there's something wrong with you I I was not one to see and understand the position of the other person I drove myself to be successful I measured myself by what I claimed was success And I was unforgiving, unaccepting of anything less than the high demands I made of myself. I was harsh on myself. And likewise, I was harsh on others. Because I had the same demands on them, of the same things I expected them to have. I was highly critical, judgmental of myself and of others. I may not have told you how critical I was of myself, but I was. So, for me to soften up and really speak from the heart and not the head, there's a different tone and a different attitude coming towards the other person. So, the key is to do this. Now, when we do our fourth step, we have three prayers there to kind of help us. So, we have a prayer regarding our resentments, bottom of page 66, top 67. You know, we, we go and do this. We do this inventory, and we have some resentments, but maybe they don't go away right in the middle of doing our inventory or even telling our sponsor in step five. So we have a prayer that, that tells us what to, what's, what we're supposed to be doing. And it's a resentment prayer, the very end of 66 and then the top 67. And it says here, when a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man, how can I be helpful to him? God save me from being angry, thy will be done. So as we've done this and we still feel some resentment, then we'll be saying this prayer all the time. Every time it pops in our mind, anything that's got resentment towards this person, place or thing, then we will need to say the prayer over and over. And when we get to step eight and nine, and, I, and I'll be working with somebody, and I, and I say, well, it sounds like you're still, you're still angry at that person. Yeah, I am a little. Not like I was, but I am. Well, of course we don't start off with that resentment, you know, cleaning up that resentment because we're not ready yet. How can we come and make these five points I've made and come from the heart with a genuine sense of saying I'm sorry and meaning it if we if we got anger still? So that just bobs down to the bottom of the list. You're going to continue to be praying and then when that cleans up, now you'll be ready to go ahead and make that amends. Do the other ones where the heart is pure and ready to speak. Um, And then we have a fear, you know, if we have fear, same thing. If we've had fear about something, we're going to be saying the fear prayer. We're going to be saying that on page 68 um, where it says, um, third paragraph, the end of the paragraph, we ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be once we commence to outgrow fear. So there it is. And we're going to be saying that prayer. And every time something comes up in our mind about whoever that person, the the institution, whatever it is, the principles, the society, will be saying that prayer. And then last, if we have some issues about uh, sex, again, there will be a prayer there. And if we go to the second paragraph on page 70, it says, to sum up about sex, we earnestly pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity and for the strength to do the right thing. It's right there. There's the prayer. And so we've been saying that prayer. Again, if that's still, the heart isn't pure yet, then we bump that one down. We've got the other ones to work on. So we'll go ahead and work on those and continue to say the prayers. Maybe we have got to a point where we're cleaned up and we're ready. Um, what I've learned in my life is that any anger-based decision I make is not a God-based decision. And any fear-based decision I make is not a God-based decision. I've got to stop. I've got to do some step 10 work. I've got to do some step 11 because I'm coming for self-will. Regardless if it's just even a small amount, I have to have a purity. And to do that, I have to, then I have to come back to these prayers and say, it, it doesn't matter how long we've been in program. We'll continue We'll have to come back and clean up and clean up. So in step eight, we've made the list. We've kind of gone over a sponsor, how we're going to do it. We're now going to prioritize and put at the bottom the ones if we still have any residue where we're not cleaned up yet enough to make the amends. Now, I didn't know this at the time, but I've heard it, and I, I like the idea. First, this is just to just take out a piece of paper, make three columns. The column, the first one is I'm doing it, it's easy, no problem, I'm going to do it. And then the second column is, okay, it's a little tough, yeah, I'm going to have to make it, okay, fine. And then there's those two or three where hell freeze over until so I do those. So... Um, all right, so you start with column one. They're easy. They're simple. They're not a problem. You just whip through them. You get some practice. You learn better. You 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 get it down so that it's the ones that are a little more difficult. You know, you have you've now better know how to do them because you've been practicing. Then you go to cal- column two and you work on those. Well, on column three, being compulsive, we've got to do the last two because we've done all the others, so we've got to complete this step. So then we you can do it that way and prioritize. Now, one of the things is about um, finding these people and or how to make it. I just don't think I can make it. So I've worked with people that are, what has happened? This is the code. It's a code for I don't really want to make the amends, and now I found an excuse to now not make it. So no, no, you're going to have to make amends. Every single person on the list of some, of, that you've harmed, you will make an amends. Of some sort, you will make amends for every single one on the list, that means an amends has to be made. Maybe it won't be made exactly in the, you know, quote, ideal end of quote, but it will be something that you will make. So people will say, well, I I, I did a quick internet search and I didn't find them. Well, do a a thorough complete search and find them. I mean, we have to make we really have to sincerely attempt. So um, we can, you know, be it some people we know, relatives of the family, Internet search. We make, we do what we need to do to find the individuals involved. Again, the reason we're not thorough and complete is because we don't want to make them. But if we know it's to, it's for our heart to be right with God and others, then we have to make an amends. And then we say, well, okay, let's say, uh, all right, an example would be I, I uh, when I go through the grocery store, you know, I, I, I stole a few things there. That, that's common. Or it is common that people uh, especially will go in, buy something, open it up, and eat it. When they get to the checkout lane, they show the wrapper and pay it thin. That's called shoplifting. But because you paid it at the checkout lane, they don't arrest you. But you were stealing. You're supposed to pay for something before you eat it it's called, it's called stealing so to go in and make an amends say that grocery store doesn't exist anymore well you can still make an amends if it doesn't exist anymore you go to a grocery store in your town replicating what it was we always make the amends to as close to the original harm that was done we get to go back as close as we can be to that to make that amends so in this particular example Uh, go to the grocery store, speak to the manager, and let him know. You know, I I did, it was, uh, you know, Frank's grocery store. You know, it was here before um, in town. Well, it's not here, but I still need to uh, make amends for the wrong I've done. And you go over the specific statement, you know, the harm. You go that, you cover it. Even though it doesn't apply to this particular individual, you're going back as close as you can to the original harm. And you give that person uh, money that will cover, definitely will cover any and everything you've stolen adjusted for inflation why do I say adjusted for inflation let's say you stole the money in the 70s well that money with inflation it's going to be more money of course why do I do that well go on the computer and Google it it's so easy now just say what was a hundred dollars in 1974 what is it what is it worth now just for inflation you'll find it out It's, it's you don't even have to do the math anymore and so you make sure you do that, and, and you give that to him, and, and you explain that you need to do that, and he's well, okay. Let's say he, I really don't want the money. Well, then you say, well, please give it to the, uh, a charity. Uh, of course, um, if he doesn't know who you are, that's fine. But if he does, make sure um, my name's never given out, because I, I have to be anonymous in giving this money to you. But I, I, it, it's just important that I do it, and I, I don't want anybody to mistake me giving credit in the wrong way. So please give it to a charity. Um, you know, find something. So take that. So and the, we'll say the person takes it. Let's say for example, in this situation, the person says, "I, I really just don't want the money." Um, well, can you give me a name of a charity that you would want me to give it to? And I and I will give it. Um, I will give it to that charity. You know, and and that'll be fine. I mean, you just continue to find a way to get as close to the harm done. And in this case, um, a logic example would be, if he says, all right, um, yeah, just give it to, uh, I don't know, the food bank, the, the food center for people that have problems. See, then you're giving, then you're giving some money to them so that people who do not have the resource to have adequate food are getting food. So that's see how you progress. So now you can say you've made the men's. And in that case, you could go over there now to the crisis center, food center, or whatever we call it here, what's what we call it here, and go over and, and again, you say the whole thing and, uh. Please, please, I just don't want any acknowledgment that it was me that gave it to you. Um, but here is this money. So now you've done it. You've cleaned that amends up. Um, every time we will find a way to clean up amends. Um, another example is, say, somebody, you've, let's say if you've, you've been at work and you've been gossiping about Jenny Sue and you can't stand Jenny Sue. You'd like to kill her if you get away with it, but you just can't stand her. And you have trashed her personality from here to there. And of course we don't go to Janie Sue and tell her, you know, I've been I've been saying all these things about you because that causes harm. There's a there's a there's a thing here in the big book and if you would cause more harm doing it that way, you do not do it. Now if Janie Sue knows you've been doing all this and she is well aware of it, you do go and you do make this and you do make a statement of specific offending behavior and you go through these five points and you tell her. And of course the most important one is I will not do the behavior again. Not only will you not do it with her, you won't do it with anybody in the office. You're now responsible to not gossip about anybody, not just Janie Sue. Now, if somebody wants to gossip about you, okay, but that's not the—that's not your issue. You will not gossip about anybody in that office. You have stopped the behavior. Let's say Janie Sue doesn't know. So then how do you make amends so you don't harm her? So what you do is you go to every single person. You have gossip too about Janie Sue and every one of them you tell them this is the behavior I'm sorry and all the harm I caused you because now they've been having to listen to you maybe they've joined in it does not matter and you tell them you will not repeat the behavior every single person you gossip to, you go and tell them once you've done that the next time you have some team meeting something office meeting and there is an opportunity in front of everybody you will say something that genuinely is positive about Janie Sue that you acknowledge, so you're not making something up, and say it to her and compliment her in front of everybody. Now you have made a demand. Of course, you're going to have to continue not to gossip. So now you've done it, and even though Janie Sue doesn't have any idea what you did, these amends can be made. Let's say the person has died and you don't know. Well, um, I can give you the story about what happened with my mother when I went to the graveyard. So, in that case, you would write a letter, you would find out where the tombstone is, you would go to the graveyard, and you would read the letter over the tombstone, because that's the last remains. Let's say, for example, that the person, you just don't know where they're buried. You, you've tried, you can't find it. Then you will go to the house of where the this interaction occurred the the place the physical place at the time and you go there if it's a spot on planet earth where it was the building you would go there and say it's there the energy as close as you can do to correct the amends made Um, there is always an opportunity Um, i'll give you an example of a person i've I've, because of my profession i've worked with people that have sexually abused children and so sometimes you know i'll even have a a person come to me just to handle that because their sponsor doesn't know quite how to handle that. So I've done that a few times. And so, well how can I how can I make amends, they'll say. I I really honestly can't find them. And they can't. They they don't know the names of the children So in that then there has to be an amends. But how do you make an amends when you don't even know their names? And it's been, you know, decades ago. But well, there's ways to make amends. So again, you go as close to the harm and then you go there and pull back as if each thing can't work, but you start there. So in the case of one, uh, what she did is she wrote a letter that she would have read to the children if she could have found them and told them what she had done, spelling it all out. And then she went to a person in the area where I live, because of my work I know who these people are, and read that letter out loud to this therapist, who had been working with children for a long, 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 long time—tremendously great work—and read it out loud for this therapist to have hear it, and then left the letter with the therapist so the therapist could have that. If at some point when she is working with a child and the child needs to have an amends made, but it won't happen, and it's appropriate, that letter comes out, and she said somebody came in here just like your your mom or your dad or whatever, whatever, and she. Couldn't find the children that she harmed, but she wanted me if I needed to. And let me just read this. And so now another child will be could now work through and be healed because of that letter. The therapist is in charge of that letter. And then second, the second thing is, well, then there are people, a lot of people, and children too, that just don't have the financial resources to receive quality uh, therapy for the harm done. So she went to the agency in the area where uh, where they pro- they provide that service, children who don't have the financial resources. Well, they need money to have those the, that done because it's not going to be provided, you know, by adults for those children, so they have to get resources. So, and with that, she then uh, gave them some money, a substantial amount of money every year. Anonymously, she just let it know, please, make sure it's anonymous, you yeah. And she gave them money so that they also children would receive services that they couldn't get. Now she's made her amends. She's made her amends, even though she cannot get to the the children she's harmed. Um, another person, um, um, basically with him, again felt horrible. No risk to reoffend. These two individuals at all. Um, simply, I gave him the names of the one I'd mentioned and another one. These are the two best people in the area um, that work with uh, offenders and. Um, and he went and he sat in that group voluntarily, telling his story to the, these because uh, these people that like him who had done offenses. And uh, he he did that for every, uh, once every week for a year, and sat there in that room and uh, worked with um, was honest, was honest and uh, spoke honestly what he had done. And that was a great great benefit to those that came in who were court ordered to be there and didn't want to be there and didn't want to be honest heard his honesty and he was voluntarily there and so he made his amends that way there's always a way to make amends and so we we every time when we look at the situation we and we work with our sponsors to try to figure that out we have to know what it is that will clean it up because we want to be as i said earlier on what do we want to do we want to fit ourselves to be of maximum service right we have to be of maximum service. That's the purpose, a real purpose to fit ourselves to be maximum service to God and the people about us. And if we do this, now we now have set right our relationships with others. Okay, so let's say you have a situation where it's not a person, and, um, and that comes up. So uh, in my situation, um, I had the Catholic Church. I was raised Catholic. I had some uh, resentment towards the Catholic Church, uh, some things that had happened. And um, and I had a resentment in my heart towards them. So how am I going to make amends to you know how, whatever number of people in the Catholic Church? And I didn't really know how to do that. And so it came to me that I should go. And what I did is I went to the church, most conservative of any church in the area, was still doing much of the old stuff, mass like in Latin and stuff. And I went there, and I sat in the back, and I just. And I watched. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I watched. And as the mass went along, suddenly it occurred to me that these were human beings doing the best they could. And I sat there trying to do the best I could to live a life of love and tolerance and kindness towards others and not resentment and fear like I had lived it. I had lived a life that was nothing to brag about. I could not fault all of them. Yes, we've had, we can, and we can obviously talk about the pedophilia and what the church did with that and all of that. Yes, that, was, I, that is not condoning behavior that was done inappropriately. But it, the church was made up of many, many, many people. And many, many people are greatly helped by religion, this religion or any other. And I could not judge all the people. That was wrong. And I, I could feel my heart so- softening, and, and I realized that, that I, it was wrong to be ups, to be resentful towards all of the Catholic Church there were individuals that made wrongdoing but that did not make all of the church at fault I had to soften my heart and my amends was made, I didn't know that was going to happen but it did happen um, I ended up having to make amends for racism and imperialism I mean I was, those issues were very difficult and I was very angry about it and I had to make amends about those too um, so what we will do, uh, we will talk to our sponsor. We, we will find a way. We always will find a way. But there has to be something for any and every um, person on that list or place or thing where there will have to be something done. And that's where the sponsor is invaluable because you may not think through it. Through it. How do I do it? I mean, I don't know how to do it with these cases. I'll just give you some examples. There are many examples. But in each time... Um, the person will just will be able to help her, you know, maybe you say, well, I'm puzzled too. I don't know quite how to make that means once you, you know, talk to somebody else and they they may refer you and you can, and you, but you will learn because when your heart is open to correct it so that you're right with God and others, then the information will come and you'll know what to do. So for me, um, I can tell you, and I've told the story before, but I will tell it uh, the mens with my mother, this, this really changed everything. Um, that my, I I did have a heart of stone and I, and I was intolerant and not kind and, um, judgmental. And, um, for me, it came from a situation where, uh, when I grew up, um, my mother was paranoid, schizophrenic, um, she was violent. She was neglectful. Um, it was a dangerous place in my home. It was very dangerous. Um, She tried to kill me when I was very young. Which would get psychotic. Um, she was, she was, she was sick, mentally ill. She had been in state hospitals, came out, it never really helped. She came back and was still violent. So it was, a, it was a very dangerous and scary place. And, and so what I did is I put this Bravo, you know, armor army that I can handle anything. Nobody can pierce me. Nobody can harm me. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna make it mommy's not a re- i mean mommy's here but mommy's not here and so i'm going to have to make it on my own and so there was this uh, extreme individualism that i was going to have to take care of myself and it was a harsh world in the end falsely believe everybody was out to get me and i was going to i was going to make it no matter what and in that attitude it it kills me but i thought it saved me in one ways. it did as a kid i had to do some way to survive um but it also killed me because as an adult, I couldn't be at one with another person. It always was on my terms. It was too scary to not ever have it be on my terms completely. That was just the residue of my childhood. And who did I blame for this distancing, this loneliness, not connecting with people in a real deep way? Um, you know, who had caused all my problems in life? Well, it was my mother, of course. And she was, she was the, the curse that was put upon me. That's also why I didn't want anything to do with God, because he gave him my mom. He's not doing his job. I don't want anything to do with it. So I kind of trashed God and threw him away uh, when I, by the time I came in the program. Um, and so I learned these things uh, when I was doing my fourth step. And what I did learn in my fourth step, a person said to me, she heard me talk. She said, you know, your mom rules you from the grave. And it struck me deeply. And what she was really saying is my resentment towards my mother, though she, she was dead, now ruled me and would continue to rule me to the days I died if I did not make peace with that. And I knew she was right, and I did not want to live a life that I had. But it's very lonely when we try to make it all be just our way, isn't it? When we have to have everything just the way we want it, we can do it by bulldozing our way through life, or be kind, generous, and loving towards people, as the actors talked about. Well, we remember that earlier in the big book. It talks about that. Either way, is life run on self-willing? And it's, it's self woven riot. So I knew that I had to do something. So when I came to step nine, I, I knew that I had to make amends, but I didn't want to make amends. I didn't want to let go of this narrative that had been deeply, deeply rooted in me, even from when I was, Young because when I was twelve my 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 mom was also very sexually active, she had all kinds of affairs, and she ran away with some guy when she was twelve uh and so at that point i um well I hated my mom i I did not want her back, but I would like a mom, and there was no one that was there i I did not have anybody, so then I really did raise my myself and um so what was I to do? She, had, she was gone. She now was dead. I had really didn't know what to do. And um, I prayed about it, and I prayed about it. And then it came to me just spontaneously. Something had happened about two months before, and I had listened to this cassette. And uh, on this cassette, it was um, a person didn't know how to make an amends. They had had a real anger towards a parent. It was mother or father. I don't remember that piece. But they were really angry, and they didn't know what to do. And then they had gone and written a letter and gone to the tombstone, and it said it over the, uh, the tombstone, and they had found relief. And you know what? That came right into my mind. soon as I prayed, I remembered that. And I go, damn it, because I knew <laughs> I had to do it. But, but yeah, it was good that I knew it. And so then I said, okay, I'm going to make amends. So um, it was like the end of winter. I wrote the letter. I looked on the map where my mom was buried because I I'd never gone there. It was maybe three, three and a half hours from my home. And uh, I got in my car, and I drove up. And um, when I got into the town, it was not a large town, I got into a town, and uh, there was a little few snowflakes, kind of, you know, flurries. But uh, And so there was nobody actually walking. There was nobody out on the streets walking, except I looked over and I saw this one man just walking along. And I don't know if he was a person or an angel, but I rolled down my window and asked where the graveyard was. And he gave me exact directions, and I thanked him. So I went I went to the graveyard, and the first thing I did is I drove around in my car to see if I could see her name on a tombstone. Well, I knew that wasn't going to happen. She was also called spender. She couldn't do any Money just went right through her hands. She had nothing. She was always about more money, more money. And it was never going to be on something that big. It was going to be a small one down on the ground. So at that point, I got really, really angry at God. And I went and I turned off my car, and I told God off. And I cussed him out. I used profanity. I told him he screwed it up. What in the hell was he thinking? And I remember saying, my ass is going to turn into an icicle before I find her out here. And I was furious with God. But there was a piece of me that still didn't want to make the amends. That's what it was about. But I put it all on God, blame God, Um, and just told him off. Well, then at that point, I calmed down a little you know with that kind of anger you're going to finish and come down and the thought came into me well why don't you just get out of the car and just walk in that direction she's not been dead that long walk over in that direction that looks like the part of the great of of the cemetery that's not the oldest so i said fine in disgust i took my piece of paper my letter and i got up and i just started walking I walked and i walked and i walked and all of a sudden i looked down and it was her tombstone i had walked right to her tombstone oh my god I knew then what I had to do. Oh, I'm sorry, God. I was really mean. That's wrong. I had to make an immediate amends to God because I had cussed God out and everything. And I'm apologizing, apologizing because I knew I blew it. I really blew it with God because God took me to the tombstone. In spite of my anger and telling God off, God still took me there. So I, I apologized quickly. And then I and then I took the letter and I and I read it over the tombstone. And what my letter was about... Because I said, what would I make amends to my mom? She w- she was, and I can tell you today, she was a horrible mother. She had no mother instinct. She never had any kindness, any love, no gesture, no thought, no word ever in her life that showed any love or care for me or my siblings. It just wasn't in her. I don't know why, but she didn't have it. She, she was one not to have had children, except we were all born in the 40s and 50s, and there was no birth control, so... Okay, so but I so what am I going to do um, at that point? I, I'm not thinking that, I, what I just said, I wasn't thinking that generously of her, but what could I do to make amends? Well, what I had done at one point in program, I had made a commitment to God that I would carry this message to anyone that needed the message. That I was, denied, I, I was poor in doing that, of course, you know, because I was a bulldozer and trying to tell everybody what to do. But nevertheless, the intent was there, but the carrying out wasn't very good. But I had made this commitment. And in this commitment, I had um, said I would, you know, do what I could. And so when I thought about, you know, making, writing a letter, I realized I needed to make amends to her because uh, after I came in program, there was a short time where she was alive when I came in program, the first couple of years, um, that I could have gone and tried to find her and given her the message, and I had not. So I was making amends for not, in my, my resentment towards her, not honoring the commitment I made to God, to go and carry the message to those that need it, I would just reject that. And for that harm that I had caused her at the end of her life, I was making amends for that. And I read that letter and I was sorry for doing that. And I felt so much better. It, it was, uh, uh, you know, there was something that I'd never, I, I, my heart softened some because I'd made this amends and I was generally sorry for it. And I thought I had now completed my amends. Well, so I turn around and I start walking away. And then all of a sudden I stop. I didn't stop. I didn't get to that tombstone on my effort and I didn't stop at that moment. And without me stopping, but yet my body stops and it it starts walking back and it walks to the tombstone. But it's not me that's doing it. My God is doing it. And I look down at the tombstone and without realizing it, I open my mouth and I say, and I love you. And I met it. I'd never met it before in my life, and when I said it, I felt this huge weight lift me. I don't physically. I felt so much lighter. My mind was so much lighter. My feelings were lighter. Everything was lighter. It was like a huge boulder that I'd been carrying around my whole life. It was gone. It was gone in a flash. In a second, it was gone. And I've never once felt one second of anger towards my mother since that time. It all left in this unbelievable moment. I didn't know that below my resentment towards my mother, I loved her. And I today I can tell you that God decided when that egg and that sperm had to get together, to have the birth of me. God wanted that. God wanted that. And my mom was the one that carried me for nine months until my birth. God wanted me on this planet. And God chose my mother and my father to have me on this planet. And my mom gave me the gift of my birth. And I love her for giving the gift of my birth. She had done that for me. Not like she wanted it. I don't think she ever wanted kids. I'm sure she, she hated it. She never probably wanted kids. But she did it anyway. It was the societal thing to do. Women were supposed to do that back then. But God had wanted me on this planet. And what did God want me for? God wanted me to do something. Now it's no accident that that's just a few weeks later. I had I had done I had been living overseas and I had come back and I had had this job and I had done this one year. I well actually I came back and was working at restaurants so I could eat all their food up. But then I'd gotten a job, a contractual agency, uh, working with children that had been abused, abused, neglected. I done it for a year and then one person said to me, you know, at the agency that. Had this contractual, had used this contractual agency, said you need to apply here. You're really good at what you do, and we've got some openings. You know, there's been some funding. Uh, we're going to hire some new people, so apply. So I said, okay. I didn't, you know, I didn't care. I didn't, you know, whatever. So I had applied, and I'd gone in and I'd had the interview. Whatever, you know. Just after making that amends, do you know within a week I get a call and they're telling me they're hiring me, and they're hiring me to work with children that have been abused and neglected. And I spent almost the next 18 years of my life working with all these children and all this abuse and neglect. And I was given this job as a result now of cleaning up the relationship with my mother because once I did it with my mother, I could help these children in a way I could never have helped them if I hadn't had the past I'd had with my mother, how I had been abused and neglected my healing from it, now I could give that gift away to all these children all these years. You see, God knew that about me. I did not know that. God wanted me. He put me on the planet, that mom and that dad, that sperm and that egg, to now serve children in a way that you, cannot, that you can't serve unless it comes from the heart, and I could now give it because I had, God had done it through me at that, in that cemetery. I didn't know my higher purpose. God knew it. So that's just one amends. But there's a funny side to this whole story because I got, I, well, I I don't know, I felt like I was on top of the car dancing on the way home instead of actually driving it. And, uh, and so then, a little crazy, I decided to make all my amends the next weekend. And I went out and made 16 amends the next weekend. That's a little bizarre. Okay, I'm still pretty crazy. Yes, you know, I'm not that long in program. But anyway, so I decided to make amends, so this is with my sibling and you know uh it it's just crazy, you know it's crazy anyway so um and and I made amends with my father and, and my father bless his heart he he- he just he was as um uh, an introvert and as quiet as my mom was loud and violent, and for whatever reason, he just couldn't get her to stop uh when she did what she did. You uh, I don't know that story, but he did love us in his own way, even though he just never told us. He never said anything to anybody. He was an extreme introvert. Um, but I made amends to him. At the, at, I went to my siblings. I went to all these other people, and I was just like on fire. So the first person I'd gone to was my uh, sister Margie, who's just one year younger than me, and I'd gone knock on the door. She wasn't there. Okay, fine. And then I'd gone on, and I was making amends one after another. It had been a long day. Now it was the very end of the day. It started very early. Now it was very, it's getting late. It was the very end of the day. People were going to bed. And I had gone from person to person to person. And everyone, I was telling them, you know, making amends, I was sorry. Well, you have to remember that I was a person that never told I was sorry to anyone ever in my whole life, ever. And now I'm running around and telling everybody. So my sister Margie had heard about it. Of course, that the the phone lines were, you know, were hot. They were. Everybody was talking. There's something going on with Ruth. Something going on with Ruth. So anyway, I get to see. I go back at the end of the day and swing back and say, "This is my last one. I'm gonna I'm gonna make amends with Margie." Knock on the door. She sees me. Opens the door. Kind of knows I'm coming, of course, because people are talking about the strange, bizarre behavior I had. It was quite. It really was extreme. And I come in. And I make my amends and she kind of looks at me and she looks very, very, very concerned. And so I say, well, what, what, you know, I asked her and she said, well, I got I remember my sister Margie uh, looked at you know, watched a lot of soap operas. And, uh, and I, she said, well, um, she looked down at the floor and then she looked up at me and she said, are you, are you going to kill yourself? I said, kill myself? Why, why, why do you think that? She said, well, and all of the soap operas I watch, they, they they do what you've been doing today and then they kill themselves. I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to kill myself. This is the healthiest thing I've ever done. She didn't get it. It's okay. Uh, obviously, I didn't kill myself. That was years ago. Uh, but it was okay. So uh, I was a, a quite a puzzlement to everybody. But it doesn't matter. We make the amends. And the key then still comes back to we have to be right with God and others we have to be of maximum service and if we have any residue of resentment fear or guilt because then this guilt is there because we begin to learn our part in the situation it's not all their fault the people out there it's not all of them it's us and what we've done to uh, and, and even just the attitude we have towards them and wanting them to be a certain way we learn our part in things and so we have to clean it up so that we can be of maximum service, and the guilt goes away, and the shame goes away because now we're we're right with God, and we are not going to be grovelling to others, no, we are not says that here we are not also going to be prideful, my gosh, when we look at what in the world we've done, how can we oh jeez, the mistakes we make, but we then then we clean it up, and now we can do what the big book says. I have to I have to read you a funny story because I really Dr. Paul O. wrote the acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. I have to tell you this is a funny article he wrote it's in the Grapevine in July of '95. Anyways, talking about character defects and how to handle them. So it comes about it's talking about our defects and how do we handle them? And so we look at that and then that gives us then the way to go into step nine. Um, And he says here in this article, I grew up thinking that I had to perfect my personality. And then I got into AA. And AA said, no, that isn't the way we do it. Only God can remove our defects. I was amazed to find that I couldn't be a better person simply by trying harder. What I've done with a number of problems like fear and depression and insomnia is to treat them as defects of character because they certainly affect my personality adversely. With depression, I've never taken any antidepressants. Instead, with any defect I want to get rid of, I become willing to have it removed. Then I ask God to remove it. Then I act like he has. Now, I know God has a loophole that says he'll remove it unless it's useful to you or to my fellows. So I tell him I'd like my defect removed completely. But he can sleep on it. And in the morning, he can give me the amount he wants me to have. And And I'll accept it as a gift from him. I'll take whatever he gives me. I've never done that when he hasn't removed a great deal of my defect. But I've never done it when he has permanently and totally removed any defect. But the result is that I no longer fight myself for for having it. So so when I look at that, which is really step 7, 6, 7, and going into 8 and 9, God now is is removing what the defect needs to be. But once we go out there and go to people and say gently from the bottom of our heart that we regret what we've done, we are sorry. We will not do the behavior again. When we do that, we take it to the next level. Now that defect has now had a public showing. It's a private airing you no, know, with me and my sponsor and all, but now publicly I'm saying it. And my sister really thought I was going to kill myself. No, I was not. But now I'm now demonstrating to others this change personnel, not because I'm trying to get something out of them, because I'm just trying to be of maximum service to God and others. And in doing that, then that boulder, that huge boulder, when I made that decision at three and I looked over that path I was now going to take, the path less traveled, that road less traveled, There I see this big bolter and now by going and writing down and looking at these defects and talking to another and seeing and really understanding them and doing the process of letting God have them to the extent and whatever God wants to do with them, and how God wants to remove them, that God's in charge now. I don't even ask God to remove my defects because God doesn't need to be told what to do. And then I look at how now I can see how I've harmed others. I can really see how I've harmed others. That's why we can't leap over from one to nine because we don't understand all of that between three and, 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 and seven. We don't get all of that. We're not ready yet. But now I can see how I have harmed. I could even see how I'd harmed my mother. And in that then I have a little more humility that I can now go and really be of service. And that's what the purpose is. I'm now right with God and others. And now, in 10, 11, 12, I continue to improve that conscious relationship with God, continue to be of service. It's the smallest things. And the smallest things make a big impact. And, uh, you know, I I remember I had, uh, I think it was from, I think it was maybe from Newark. Yeah, it was. I'd come back. Uh, flying back from the convention in September and there was a woman there and and she looked a little lost and uh, can I help you? Well she didn't barely speak English she spoke Chinese which I didn't know how to speak and um, she was needing help and I said well I'll sit here just sit down let's see what I can do to help you and so um, trying to understand what she needed because she really couldn't speak many words but she had a cell phone and so she called her daughter and her daughter got on the cell phone, who was speaking English, Chinese, and and was able then to work it out. And so she was going to actually be on the flight I was going to be in, uh, coming into St. Louis. And her husband was going to pick her up at the airport in St. Louis. So I told, I told uh, the daughter, don't worry about it. She's going to be with me. Uh, she's not going to be sitting in the same seat in the airplane, but we're going to take care of each other. Um, I'll take, I'll make sure, you and I will make sure. So just tell her I'm going to be on the airport, uh, on the airplane, and when we get off, I will take her down to baggage claim because that's where her husband's going to meet her, and I'll sit there with her until her husband gets there. Okay, so we'll have it all worked out. So it did work out. And um, and then a uh, daughter sent me a little text thanking me. Well, you know, in the past, I never would have done that. Hey, that's her problem. She should know English. That's <laughs> what I would have said in my selfishness. And I would have moved on. And best I maybe would have tried to give her a little help, but I never would have personally made sure she got to her husband because she really couldn't navigate it. Even reading the signs was hard for her in the airport. Little thing. It didn't matter that much to me. I'm going to be on that plane. I'm going to go down. I didn't, it did not inconvenience me in any way. And even though we couldn't talk to each other, it got done. That's the thing. A changed heart so that it's not about individualism, do you what you're supposed to do and you're supposed to do it, and, and if you don't do it, there's a problem with you. No, I'm going to have to do whatever I can to help. Not fix you, that's overkill, that's going too far. But not so abrasive that it's like I don't bother to even have any, uh, you, know, you know, feeling towards whatever your struggle is. Right in the middle point, that's, that's where God gets. Not in the extremes, in the midpoint is where all growth happens, all action happens, that's where it is. That's how we live our life in ten, eleven, twelve. 11, 12, because we've done this step, not 8 and 9, where it was supposed to be done. We have cleaned ourselves up, and now we can look at the world eye, and, and we can be of service because that's our purpose. It's always been our purpose. The addiction took it away, but now we've gained it. We now have it, and now we can really serve if God wants us to serve because that's what God wanted. When God created me out of my mom and dad so I could serve all those kids, those kids taught me. They taught me and they softened my heart. They made it happen. I helped them, but they helped me. Because once they knew somebody loved them and they had nobody that had ever loved them up to then, they loved me in a way that I couldn't, I, I, it was just phenomenal. And um, so I am blessed. And and um, and so I thank God, I thank God for these steps. Eight and nine are, have, just have changed me in a way that I cannot explain. I thank God, and with that I'll end it and I'll send it back to Leah. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you for your thorough,
0: informative, and profound teaching of Steps 8 and 9 this morning. Thank you so much. Today's share ID number, reference number for this recording is 11300. That's 11,300. Ruth M's contact information will be offered at the conclusion of this meeting, this recording, so stay tuned for that. We will now transition to question and answers. You can press star 1 to unmute. Please identify yourself by first name, first letter of your last name as well. Mary Lee R. in Oregon. Mary Lee.
4: Leslie M.
0: Leslie M. Roz G. That Roz G.
5: G. Katie
0: got it. Katie T, I carry ya. Thanks. Lori W Laurie W.
5: Lisa S.
0: Lisa S. Shannon S. S. Jenna S. Shannon S. Got it. Thank you. Thanks. Excellent. Okay, my list consists of Mary Lee R. Leslie M, Roz G, Katie G, Lori W, Lisa F, Shannon S. Did I miss anyone? All right, Mary Lee R, you're up. Everybody else, please mute. Thanks.
3: Oh, good morning. Can I be heard? Yes. Hi, this is Mary Lee R. We covered just for today and Eugene, Oregon, and Ruth. I have just been missing you. You were there in the beginning of my vision recovery and hooray for the higher power. So my question is, I have a sponsor that is in the middle of making amends and one of them is to a gentleman that was um, a predator on her. How? How? And I don't have any good wisdom because I've had the same experience and I, I don't know what to tell her can you give me some insights sure um so
2: it was was she a child when this person sexually abused her well it,
3: it was it, it was in program and um um she i guess it would be called 13 stepping and um and it went on for a while and then you know she's been away from it for a long time, and she's um, newly married, and she doesn't know what to do. Um, and I, I'm not? No, I'm, okay. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so, um,
2: so we have two adults. Um, again, I don't know her story. If they were two consenting adults, I mean, if she was... Uh, in a state where, you know, had disabilities and not able to make an informed decision or uh, there was some other situation like that. Um, I don't know if it was two consenting adults. Um, so I don't know enough about the situation to really tell you. If it was two consenting adults, even though maybe took advantage because she was newly abstinent and he had, you know, had many years, and so he did really, really take advantage of her. And it was very inappropriate, um, But at the same time, she did say yes to it, and it was a voluntary decision. That's one thing. If he had done something where he forcibly um, did a sexual act where, and that doesn't have to just be rape, where he did some inappropriate touching and grabbing and did some things with her, you know, and it was not with her consent, then that's a different situation. So I really can't answer your question because I don't know enough of the details and probably that's beyond this conversation on the phone line. Um, But... We would simply, if there was consent, she would have to look at her part of it and what, if anything, that she did. What did she do? And then you look at that, and then that harm, whatever that harm is, then you make an amends relative to that harm done. Okay. Um, let's does say she for, to him,
3: or does she, she? How does she do that?
2: Well, let's say, let's say, if he was a stalker. You know, and he would be violent towards her. Obviously, you do not want to endanger yourself or your family. So, again, I don't know all the details. But if she it was an informed consent and she willingly participated in it, then she would simply, ha- and she may need to go see a therapist or a counselor about this to really sort that out, if that needs to be what was her part in this. What did she do? If she voluntarily consented to it and she didn't break it off when she realized How um, really how horrible the relationship was and continue to do it, then she has to look at herself and why did I continue to do this? Why did I get involved in this? And that may be issues that the therapist and the counselor would have to help her sort through so that she herself sees the harm she did to herself. And in that then, what harm did she do to him? Again, I I don't have the details, so I can't really give you specific because then I might be misleading you and guiding you in a way. It would depend upon particulars of this okay i'm not i'm not trying to be vague i just don't know if if she really did voluntarily decide and it was not forced in any way it, it was not uh, a sexual aggression in that he forced himself on her um and she did willingly agree to it and continue a relationship she didn't want to be in Then she has to look at herself and what could she do to deal with what she had done and any harm if it done him in that situation you could say You know, I want to make amends that I did not break off this relationship with you when I realized that it was inappropriate for me. And I am sorry for the harm it caused you. Uh, I'm responsible for not breaking it off because I willingly continued it. I regret that. And I'm not going to do the situation with you or anybody else. If it's inappropriate, it's inappropriate. I don't do that anymore. That would be an amends in that situation, but I don't know if that fits exactly exactly what, what was going on with her. You see on. So she's not apologizing you. for his behavior. Absolutely not. We're not ever in apologizing to the other person's behavior and justifying it. It is in that case I'm I was wrong for letting it go on. And I should once I immediately realised I should have ended it. It was not true to myself and my God. If he was in the program he should understand what amends is. And any harm that caused you, I'm sorry. It may not have caused him any harm, but she's willing to acknowledge if it did, I'm here to say I'm sorry for that harm. Does that make sense? So there could be something she could make an amends on. But it's not for his behavior. Thank you. Okay.
0: Thanks, Mary Lee R. Next up, Leslie M., star one, time mute.
4: Good morning. Uh, this is Leslie M. from Long Island, New York. I'm a compulsive overeater. Thank you, Leah, for your service. And Ruth, thank you for your service also. Um, my question is, I'm in Step 9, 10, and 11 right now, and I have some people on my list that I have judged horribly. Um, some people that are um, you know, physically in my life and some people that I just speak to over the phone or just hear over the phone. And I, I can't find any specific act, you know, I can't find a specific behavior or a specific um, incident, you know, where I could, there's something, you know, I, I could say, you know, I'm sorry that I've judged you, but I don't think that that's the purpose of step nine. So I was wondering if you could uh, elaborate on that. Thank you. Right,
2: okay. Yeah, you said steps nine, 10, 11, 12, but this is really step nine work. We're not talking uh-huh. about step 10 work. We gotta finish our step nine work before we uh-huh. move into 10. So if you have a very critical attitude towards somebody, let's say somebody on the phone line in the meetings, and you're not ever having contact with them, you're not talking with anything, but yet you know your heart is wrong, then you wouldn't, no, you would not go and say, hey, you know, I've been thinking, you're like, you're crap. You would got somebody have them do that. (laughs) I'm sorry, that's no, that's not, you do not do anything that causes further harm. So in that case, I would be talking with my sponsor. Uh, about this character defect, uh, probably it was I bet you was probably part of your fourth and fifth step. I guess I would think it's not been something that just popped in and you never were had this problem. You probably had this issue with being judgmental and critical people before you got to nine right I probably this isn't the first time. So um, I would look I would be talking with my sponsor about what do I need to do to clean that up. So you're not talking to the person you've harmed, but you still have to clean up with the harm you're doing because anytime we we have it, and we throw it out into the universe, even though we've not directly told the person, the universe is, is a little less closer to God collectively. So we still have to clean up our stuff. And uh, it could be in the case of where you could uh, write a, an amends letter, you're not actually seeing them, and have somebody hear you write, hear you read that letter. It could be your sponsor, if it's somebody like on the phone line, you don't even know it, who they are hardly. You could just be reading it to, to your sponsor and talking to her about it, and what can you do to... to uh, and I would also be definitely saying the resentment prayer. Every day, the resentment prayer. Every time it pops in your mind, that resentment prayer, we, I mentioned on page sixty-six, sixty-seven. Definitely be saying the prayer. Definitely, then I would write maybe, if that's helpful, write it in, have the sponsor listen to it, and continue to work on letting this character defect go. But you would not go to somebody that has no idea you're doing it in this... I mean, this is not like an office where the uh, coworker you're seeing all the time and, you know, the, it's not like that. So, um, and then, the you know, not doing it again and, and uh, not spreading anything where you're saying anything to somebody else. Now, if you've told somebody your judgmental feelings to somebody beyond your sponsor and trashed her to other people that are on the line, you would have to clean that up with them, though. You would have to still go to them and make this amends. Even, you know, if they're out in the boonies and it's a phone, you would still call them and say, you know, I – I badmouth, you know, whatchamacallit, you know, that's on the line. And, you know, that's not appropriate to be, uh, you know, judgmental and critical of these people that are speaking. That's something, you know, between you and your sponsor you work out. So if you badmouth that person, these people, to other people on the line, you would go to all those other people on the line and say, you know, that's gossip, and I'm not going to do that again. And then you don't gossip about anybody on the line. So you would still do that. Does that help?
4: Absolutely. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Leslie M., for the question. Roz G., your question,
4: please. Thank you. Uh, my name's Roz G. Thank you for your talk. And my question has a lot to do with uh, the previous um, caller, so you may have already answered it, but I'm still going to ask it for clarification. Okay, I have, a refer- I have a referring... I wrote this down. I have a recurring defect that turns into a resentment. It's just the defect turns, like, I get bitter and jealousy towards a certain character about women. It's usually skinny, pretty women. And um, it turns into a resentment. And so I've discussed this with my sponsor, and she says, you just keep asking God to remove it from you, which you just kind of said to the last caller. And then then while I was uh, listening, I may have listened to this wrong, but you said something, we never tell God what to do. So is there a difference between asking and telling, and, and were you messing that together? I, I wasn't clear, and thank you. Okay,
2: um, yeah, I don't tell God what to do because God doesn't need my, my advice or Um Basically, um, I was referencing step seven. When we, Some people erroneously, when they do step seven, they tell God what their defects are and tell God to remove them, and that's, I find inappropriate, we have to, God already knows what the defects are and God knows when they need to be removed and how they need to be removed. I simply come to God and say, God, I'm here, these are my defects and what you want to do with them, you're in charge now. So I I don't ask God's removal. Um, So, and uh, when we do our step nine work, it's so that we have this to be of maximum service to God and others. And it's not for me to be telling God, you know, how I want this amends to turn out. What I, want to, I want the other person to say, I'm sorry too. Um, there might be a part of that, but we have to let it be pure and clean. It's our side of the street only. So we, we don't get into God saying, oh, I, I wish this person would do blah, blah, blah. No. I mean, if you clean it up, then you have to let results be with God. If we want a certain result, we're playing God. Because when we do what God wants, results are totally irrelevant to our action because God's in charge of those, not us. So that's what I'm saying. We have to clean it up because our issue is control, 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 control. Try to control food, but we also try to control people, places and things. And uh, we let go of results and outcome, um, yeah, then we're getting closer to God. So that's what I'm saying.
0: Thank you, Roz G., for the question. Katie G., star one, time mute.
5: Hi, Leah. Uh, May I be heard? Yes. Ruth, Leia, thank you so much for your service. Beautiful talk, Katie G. Um, just wondering about long-term relationships, and I know you've been kind of talking about this, but um, with, you know, formal amends to your husband or a family member, and I'm powerless, obviously, over changing the character defect, um, and I know I'm not hopeless. I can do a slew of things to change it, but I'm wondering... Like, um, do I keep going back and making the amends? Because my amends have no value anymore, right? Because when I continue to do it, um, they have no meaning. And I just was hoping you could um, address that if you've experienced that, how you might have um, adjusted what you're saying. Um, any, any help on that would be uh, super helpful.
2: Okay, um, so, yeah, if we keep saying to our family, I'm sorry, and then immediately turn around and do it again, that's not an immense because the last of those five points is we don't do the behavior again, so um, I would be talking to my sponsor about maybe going what what's happening with four, five, six, and seven, what is there that maybe needs to have a little more work on? Not that it was done bad, but why am? Have I really understand understood the exact nature of my wrongs? Have I maybe missed something about that that I really need to better understand? Um, can am I really uh, getting, you know, really willing to let it go, or is there a piece of me that's willing, but another piece is not willing, you know, where that gets me to continue it? Have I really sincerely did the seven step prayer? Is it was meant to be done? Or is it more just mouthing words? Because when I get to eight and nine, I'm still doing it. Um, so I would I would probably work with my sponsor and look at really if is there something missing in that four through seven? Do I really really understand the harm I I cause? Do I really understand it? Because if I really understand it, I just can't. I, no, there's no way I, I I should be doing this again. So I'd start there. That would be the logical first part. It's just go there and see. And maybe maybe I'm in my uh, my my addict is wanting me not to really take full awareness, understanding and responsibility for that harm. So I minimize it to the extent that I keep doing it. I, that's where I would start and talk to your sponsor about it and see if that gives you some more insight and uh and clean it up better so that the, the men's, yeah, you don't want to keep saying I'm sorry and keep doing it. That That's not helpful to you, to God, or to them. So I'd go back and do some more 4 through 7 work on just that one particular defect you're talking about.
0: Thank you, Katie G. Lori W., star 1, time mute, with your question, please.
3: Good morning,
6: my sister siblings. Lori W., Compulsive Overeater, Recovering in Atlanta, Georgia, today. Um, Thank you so much for your open, honest share and for um, sharing your experience, strength, and hope. It's been been very valuable to me this morning. Um, I've been in programs since 2002, in and out, um, mostly just hanging out with everybody, Um, not really working to recovery. but. The last, since I joined a for you about four years ago um, and in and out, but back in solidly for the last um, year and a half, I have been um, working through the steps. And, and this time around I'm cycling, I'm going to a deeper level than I've ever been before. So I am at this point with um, – making list of making a list of people I have harmed and becoming willing to make amends to them all and making direct amends wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. So this is perfect for me this morning. What I want to know is I have a deeper understanding. I have a deeper desire to do this. But where and when does the real courage to take this step and move forward and take the action When and where does that come um, in this process? I know I need to do it. I want to do it. I'm afraid to do it. I'm I'm afraid to go and deal with um, the people that I have harmed. So when does that fear leave? Uh, What can I do to help alleviate it and um, get the courage to move forward with my men so I can be totally free um, on this cycle through um, the steps? Thank you very much.
2: Um, well, uh, we go back to the fear prayer. Uh, that's on page sixty-eight. We talked about that. What would God, what would God have me be? What would God have me be? And continue to say the prayer and uh, and and work with your sponsor about how to let go of your fear. Because if you set and set and set and don't do this step, you're going to get hungry because you know better and you're not doing it. So, um, I would start with the simplest, easy amend there's some there's some amends that are like no big deal I'll just do those. so I'll give you an example of one. This is kind of crazy, a stupid thing, but anyway, this was years and years and years ago at the Jersey county courthouse, this old you know town with a little courthouse in the middle of the town, and I had had to go to the bathroom I went to the bathroom and and uh I did my thing. I looked up and I saw a roll of toilet paper on the top of the stool i mean on the back there. And um, I needed toilet paper, so I just took it and left with it. I mean, crazy as that was. I could have gone to the store and bought it, but I, I took it. And when it came time to make an amends, it occurred to me, you know, Ruth, you um, probably need to, uh, you know, give him some toilet paper. So I so I went to the Jersey County Courthouse, and I went in, and they got some toilet paper on the back of the stool. So um, that was an easy one, you know. It was just like, you know, took it, it's back in place, even though it was a couple decades later. So do the easiest ones. Just do those—the ones that have prioritized with your sponsor. And I just said, take the list. The easy ones—they're not difficult. You can get them done, you know, whatever. And you got the ones that are di- there's there's some difficulty, and then you got the really couple that are hard. Do the easy ones first. That will get you mo- moving. It'll get you some experience, and it'll kind of propel you to get to the more difficult ones. So, what about doing the easiest ones on your list? That's that's where I would start. And continue to, to, you know, do this for your prayer and, and keep working on that. Um, but do the easiest ones, and that will make you want to do the harder ones. So start, do something. Do the easiest one you can do right now. They surely have a few that are not tough at all that they can be done without much struggle.
6: Thank you very much for that.
2: Thanks, Lori
0: W, for the question. Lisa S, your turn. Star one time you. Hi Ruth, thank you for your wonderful and heartfelt qualification. I really got a lot out of it. I was wondering, how did you make amends for racism and imperialism? Um, yeah,
2: that was pretty interesting. So uh, with imperialism, I um, I had I had left the United States and I was living overseas for four and a half years. Uh, this was before I came in program. In fact, I got in program while I was in Argentina. So I. While there, uh, my experience was I was a Peace Corps volunteer in nicaragua and three three weeks after I got there, uh, Chamorro was assassinated, and it was civil war and So for the next thirteen months of my life, I lived in civil war, and my job was taking the orphans that were created and then putting them with parents there in Nicaragua. So I was moving in and around through the through war and um, And in that, I learned the part that the United States played to have the dictator and his military um, have the power to do what they were doing to the people. So um, I was very upset, of course, by certain fo- these policies by our U.S. government. We don't need to get into whole details, but I was upset by it because um, I got to know the people personally and thought it was wrong. So, I had to make amends, and uh for me it it was uh, a prayer, it just it was really again, it had to come a lot of resentment resentment, resentment. It was kind of like to the Catholic Church i I had to understand that I can't claim everybody that works in the federal government is evil. Um, no, I had to look at their policies and they are driven by some people, but that's not everybody. There is good in this, and by making it a black and white view, then I was not a- allowing um, the goodness that was being done because there's also goodness that comes. So it wasn't like it was all one-sided. Um, so I, I just had to do some work and uh, just actually did some more reading uh, about more of the history and trying to better understand the whole picture. And that's what I had to do. Racism, the same thing. I had to make amends by understanding that this is something since the beginning of this uh the European invasion, we've had this issue. And I I had to say, okay, you know, but what am I going to do to alleviate it? So my amends in each case is to do something, dedicate my life to doing something to alleviate racism and imperialism today. And I still am committed to doing that. Even today, I, I, yesterday I was doing something. I always, uh, always are going to do something to make this a a more just place to live on our whole planet. I can't just do what I can to take what I can out of it and then die at the end and say I didn't do a part. So I work on individual level, like with sponsories, but I also work on big issues now that I'm retired for sure. And I work to, I have the time now to do some work, uh, a lot of work uh, that tries to make it a just, more just place. And and that means out on the streets and helping people with medical needs. If they're out there protesting, I'm gonna, I, I've done that, so... I try to do what I can, um, and that's how I make amends. I, I personally devote myself to uh, making it a, a place I think more of what God would want it to be, as I understand that. So that was my amends. Just it was a process of not getting so black and white, and and then making a commitment to do something to alleviate what I found is harmful. Because you can bitch all you want, but you have got to make changes yourself. You have to go out and make and do your part to change it. So that's what I did or do. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Lisa S. Shannon S. Your question, please. Star one to unmute. Shannon S.
7: Good morning. Thanks, Thanks, Leah. Sorry about that. This is Shannon S. Recovered in New York. Um, Thank you, Ruth, so much for your chair. I had a question. Um, You had mentioned in the beginning about... um, being very specific as to what we are making amends for. And I believe you said about, um, being violent to your sister and describing the exact event. Um, how do you factor in there, um, the second part of step nine with, um, except when it would injure them or others, um, in terms of possibly bringing things up to people, um, that could be harmful or the situation where you talked about with, um, in answering another question, um, where somebody would go to someone else and uh, make amends for not getting out of their relationship sooner and if I had made harm. Um, you, I, I hope you understand, but just um, how that that factors in, um, that we're making sure we're not um, putting anybody through any injury in making our amends. Thank you.
2: Yeah, and the case of those two, let's say the case of my sister, she knew I was mean. I mean, it wasn't like I was telling her something new. I mean, she was well aware of it. And, you know, after that, then would acknowledge, you know, some of the other things I had done, you know, in subsequent conversations through the years. So um, I was very specific. So she understood what I meant because I never, ever took responsibility for anything that I did wrong. And I never apologized. So I needed to be very specific. Here's the example. Here's. You know, here's an example. Here's what I did. So I'm here to make amends for what I did do. And she knew I did it because she was the recipient of what I did. So there's, I'm not creating more harm by telling her what she already knew, and and never ever hearing an apology from me for being inappropriate towards her. Uh, that's harm. That's a lot of harm. And when I thought I was right, I did a lot of harm to a lot of people about a lot of things. So, um, no, I'm not creating more harm there. So if the person knows the behavior, knows it was inappropriate, knows I've never taken responsibility for my inappropriate behavior, coming to them and um, acknowledging that and saying, I'm sorry, is not creating more harm. Now, if the person does not know, let's say uh, you've had an affair and your spouse does not know at all, has no idea it happened. No, you wouldn't go up and say, okay, yeah, look what I did to you, blah, blah, blah. In that case, you would go to the person you had the affair with and tell that person that you are the specific behavior, that it was inappropriate, you were sorry for any harm it caused, you regret it, you're not, you're not you maybe now or not, haven't had the affair, and you're not going to do it again, being you or anybody else having an affair. So you make an amends to the harm there because uh, that person may say, who cares, I loved it. Well, it doesn't matter. That's, not, that's their side of the street. You, you still could have caused harm. And uh, so you apologize for whatever harm it is. You don't necessarily have to know the harm exactly. That's not necessary. You know that it it was harmful what you did and how it received and the harm that person feels about it is not what is, you're dependent upon. You just know that in your heart of hearts, you were wrong and you caused harm and you apologized. You just don't need to know the details of how the harm was done on, on the other person. They may or may not share that with you. They they That's up to them. So uh, the key is, um, if they don't know, uh, yes, you could cause harm. But if they do know, then you just own up to what they already know you've done, and you just say so.
0: Thank you, Shannon S, for the question. Who else has a question for Ruth this morning? Star one to unmute. This will be the final invitation for questions.
8: Amanda Carol M. M.
5: S. Faith.
0: Amanda M., Carolyn H. S. H. is that Julie H., yes, yeah.
5: Jody E.Q., S- Jody E.Q., Esther C., Ruth
0: H., Esther C., Ruth H., Sue F., Sue F.,
9: Abby B.,
0: Abby B., Ruth M, you're okay time-wise, or is there? Yeah, a
2: yeah, no, go ahead. We're fine. Okay,
0: all right. Who else? Thus far, I have Amanda M, Carolyn S H, Julie H, Jody E Q, Esther C, Ruth H, Sue S, Abby B. Who did I miss? Anyone else with questions? Okay, I'll take that as a no. Amanda M., you're up. Everyone else, please mute. Thanks. Amanda M., your question, please.
8: Hi, can you hear me now? Yes. Oh, sorry, thank you. Phone issues. Mm Um. Amanda a compulsive overeater recovered in Dallas um, Ruth I have a uh, Sponsory who has a severe mental illness psychosis, etc. She's in treatment now and pretty much stable 20 years ago she wasn't and she was in a narcissistic abusive relationship and he told her that She needed to try to kill one of her patients that she worked as a medical tech and she did give her too much insulin, nothing came of it, nothing happened, and I have absolutely no idea how to tell her to make amends for this, because she was, you know, in a psychosis, in a relationship that was narcissistic and abusive, and she was afraid for her life
2: if she didn't do it. Okay, so you're saying making amends for the harm she was going to do, carrying out his wish, is that is that's what you're talking about? How does she make an that, amends for that? That's correct. Okay, so and but she never actually carried it out. She just was going to carry it out. Is that what happened? She attempted, but uh, nothing
8: uh, happened. Hang on, let me yell at my dog. Thank you. I'm sorry
2: about that. Okay, so she attempted. Does the act she did? the other person that she was attempting on is aware of the act that was attempted or not? Is there any knowledge? No, from... not, not aware. Okay. So there's no, no way where she would should have to try to find that person because that person knows that she, <laughs> she tried to, so that didn't happen. Um, she, she was going to attempt to do something and then it, it did not happen. Then um, it would go again where she would do what she could to be as close to the harm that was created so um at this time is she still working in her profession? Is she employed?
8: No, in- she, she's not. She's she's on um, she can't be
2: employed, so no, okay. she's not. Okay. Yeah, 'cause it if that yeah, so it would be um and I presume she's seeing a therapist or counselor, probably, right? Probably? Yeah, doctor, psychiatrist, therapist, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, um she could, um she could Again, the psychiatrist may not understand what's going on, and she might need to write it out. But she may need to pass this information on. That could be her men's to a medical professional. She did something uh, in the medical field. This is a medical person that would hear the harm that was done and her regret for that. She could do that because um, then she it's a, it's going back to the medical. It's not the actual person because we don't we don't she that's gone and, the person doesn't know and she's not in the medical field or anything but she could do it with a psychiatrist for example and just have them sit down and really listen to her uh talk about um you know basically what she did and it, she's not a threat to do it now she's not working so it's not going to cost her a job or anything so she's just sitting down and going this is what i did you know i'm i'm sorry i take full responsibility you know it was harmful um, even the attempt, um, I'm responsible for my behavior and the harm I was trying to cause. I do regret it. Obviously, I'm not going to do it again. But I want you to hear this because it's something that bothers me because I know it was wrong what I did. So it could be done with him or her that she's seen. That's a possibility. Okay. It might be different. Okay. You might think about what is it the closest she can get to the original harm. Um, that's an option. And then that hopefully that would, um, you know, it, Settle it with her, because she would need to do something. Is what I'm saying,
8: right? Um, okay, I, I, that's perfect. Thank you so much.
5: Yes.
0: Thank you, Amanda M. Carolyn S. H.
5: Yes. Good morning, uh, Leah. Thank you for your service, Ruth.
0: Thank you so much. Um, my question is about you said uh, this is Carolyn S. H. Um, calling from S. And, um, there's something that happens, um, that I've come across with, um, sponsors, um, in doing eight and nine. And even, um, if they're doing like a beautiful job and really being thorough, um, sometimes what gets touched upon is this, like, they go into this guilt place of, you know, remorse or groveling or, um, almost self-hatred, um, when seeing, when really seeing clearly what they've done, um, and I know that feeling. I've been there, and I feel like the only way I get out of it is, is I just, grace hits me, and I, and I just feel the love of higher power, and I, and I don't know exactly what to say to them to help them experience that. What, I just would love to hear what you would say about that.
2: Uh Well, well, we'll have to go back now to step four, five, six, and seven. So when we do step four, and I do it according to Joe and Charlie's way of doing it, I look at the exact nature of my wrongs, and I help them, you know, so they can understand the exact nature of the wrongs. Does that mean, you know, they're the worst person on the planet? No, that's not what, that, that's not what you learn from the exact nature of wrongs. Does it mean that, you know, in pride that you really didn't do anything that's really, that harmed anybody? No, it does not mean that. Exact nature means exact there there was harm done. Um, and then in that insight, are you willing to let go of these defects because we see the harm they cause? And if that's there, then they do want to let go of that. They want to let go. And they want to not live in guilt because that's harmful too. That blocks me from God. That'll block them from God. And they then do the seventh step prayer. So it's the eight and nine are are going to be done as well as the previous steps are done. Every step is based on a solid foundation of the previous step. So if somebody comes in and has you know extreme amount of guilt and shame and they're blacking themselves, then um, again I we I would review what we what was learned in four through seven. Now what did we learn in that? You know. Let's say the best of your thinking got you to do this, okay? And maybe you thought it was a good idea at the time. But now we see that in your selfishness, it wasn't a good idea because it was really about you, but you were so delusional thinking you were helping when that was just justifying inappropriate behavior. So now we are not delusional and we see what happened and what are you going to do about it. So um, again, it it comes from all the previous steps. So we come to nine, yes, you could say... At this point, um, I'm feeling guilty and I don't want to do it. Well, okay, but if you live in the guilt, the guilt will make you thirsty and hungry and you will go back eventually, not if, but when, you'll eventually get back or switch to any addiction maybe. So what can we do? Sometimes uh, the guilt gets uh, so intense, but it's part of the disease. The addict's trying to get you not to do the so, you know. So now we're, we're going to go that other extreme, and the, that's the addict just talking know yeah. so let's be rational here you know what what uh what is it that you're saying that you is it that you don't want to do this or is it is it really that um, it's really that bad because each step is not to try to make you just grovel and just be horrible in the view of yourself on the contrary the steps Really bring you into a moment where you're not flipping trifle, or you're not feeling like you're a horrible person. It puts you right in the middle where all change occurs, because that's where all growth and opportunity is. You get to see, yes, you've made some terrible mistakes, but yes, you know you're now trying to correct them and trying to correct them. There's God coming through you. Oh my God, that's beauty. And you want to you want to get more towards that beauty, the true beauty of life, which is God working through you. And and there's the focus. Um, I would try to come to. God wants more of me, and God's going to take me through this. So I'm willing to be with God now and let God take me through this. Even though I'm feeling very guilty, even though I don't want to do it, um, I'll let God take me through. So it's praying, praying for it. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Julie H. Actually, that was Carolyn, I think. Yes. I realize that. Thank you for the correction. Thank you, Carolyn S.H. Julie H., now you're up. Hi, this is Julie H. Thank you so much for your service today. Uh, My question is, when you spoke about abusing your younger sister, at what age are you referring to? Like, would I make an amend for something I did as a child when I was like 9 years old, 12 years old? So how far back in my life would I be going? Is it as far back as my memory takes me? Or at an age where I'm responsible for my actions. Um if you could just clarify that, I'd appreciate it. So much. Thank you. Uh
2: for me, I was as back as far as I could remember. So when I was very tiny, you know, my m- mom was very violent. And she was violent towards me, and then I the only ones I could safely be violent towards, not that I was planning it out, was the younger siblings, right? Except my brother. He the, the male never got touched because the male was the male, but the four of us, the females was different. So um so from From early on, I had this anger about being abused, and then I then expressed it on my two younger sisters. And so for my sister, it doesn't matter, you know, uh, am I going to talk about it from 12 up? No, I'm going to talk about it from when I began doing it. It's just I did it at the level I could do it. When I was a little kid, maybe a little whack. When I got older, I could hit a little harder, right? So um, it's everything that I remember that was inappropriate. Now, was I thinking, okay, I want to hurt her. I want to. No, I never actually thought that. I was just mad, and, and I thought she did something wrong. It made me mad. See, I, uh, but maybe when I was little, I didn't even think that much, but I still did the harm. So I want to make amends to her for all that I remember that was inappropriate. If it's inappropriate, it's inappropriate. Regardless of my level of understanding of the appropriateness of it, it's still inappropriate. Um, so I, I would apologize for all of it, and that's what I did.
0: Thank you, Julie H., for the question. Jody E.Q., your turn.
1: Thank you, Leah. Thank you so much, Ruth, for this wonderful presentation. So my question is for those of us who have been work, trying to work these steps to the best of our ability for a long time, in my case 30 years and, and in many others, as I believe, too. So I I didn't always have the benefit of, such wonderful sponsorship, <laughs> and I I botched it more than once, um, trying to make amends, and then trying to repair the amends later on has been problematic, because once you've tried to make amends more than once, it's like people get tired of it, <laughs> and they don't want to hear it anymore. So, um, for those of us who have perhaps done it wrong. Um, do you have any, any words of wisdom as going forward? Do we go back and, again, try to do it the right way, even when they're, like, saying, no, enough is enough?
2: Hmm. Well, um, for us, get, for me, I'd have to look at myself. Whatever they say, they say. If I keep saying I'm sorry and keep doing it, it's wrong regardless. If they say it's okay, I keep coming to them, right? I mean, it's not their response. I'm not going to make an amends because of the response. I'm going to make an amends because I, I did not, um, you know, I, I repeated my behavior, and that is unacceptable. So, yes, when we make amends, when we, uh, when you know, I'm working with somebody, if they are still having anger or fear towards the person. They're going to have to keep praying to get that heart pure so that it can be, can be done where God can come through because God is blocked by anger and fear, so God can't speak through me when I make the amends, so it's not going to be at the quality that I really should have it, so I have to do that. Let's say you've gone out and done it anyway and you really were still mad and so you said, and you kept doing it. Yeah, you've made an amend. So at this point, it still comes back to you. Are you cleaning up your stuff before you go to them again? Okay, are you really cleaning it up? Do you still have resentment? Do you still have fear towards them? And you keep making amends, but the, your heart is not pure? Then it's your head talking. That's all that's talking. Nobody wants to hear your head talking, and you keep doing the behavior. So it would be working with your sponsor to make sure that you are proper in, in how you feel towards them. You feel love towards them. And when you come with love towards a person, they can feel that. mm mm-hmm. They can feel that, so I would work on me. The issue is not them; it's me. Where am I coming with love now? If you keep doing something and you don't ever come with love, they might notice that change, and that's different than just saying the same thing and still keeping the same attitude. So it does—it does come. It, it, you, we need to change, and we need to talk differently now. Really, my sister thought she really did think I was going to kill myself uh, because it was radical what I was doing, but. Um, it was okay, you know. I got through as best I could, and uh, today I do better. You know, you know, we get better at this. So, uh, right, what the one of the big things that happens when we get pure and we clean it up and really do it, then you know what? We do a whole bunch of stuff. Um, we don't do a whole bunch of stuff that we would have done because we're not going to want to make amends for it. We don't tolerate what we could tolerate. You know, there was a point I remember. It had been many years, and I was looking back on my life and. And I realized that there were uh, some things that now farther along spiritually that I did not feel at the time were really inappropriate and needing an amends. But now in a far along farther place, I realized, no, I really do now need to go and make amends to those people. There was three people I had to go make amends. They had done something wrong, or it was a secondary damage. I apologize to the person I did wrong, but, this, but there was somebody that impacted by that that was uh, connected with that The person I was making amends to, that also got harmed, but I didn't see it because I was just focused on the person that I'd harmed. And so I went and made amends to him too, you know. And uh, he ended up saying, kind of looked at me, didn't know what I was talking about, and then he goes, well, thanks. I mean, so secondary damage. I didn't realize all my secondary damage, right. Let's say if I harm somebody and the spouse is harmed, but I didn't really have contact with the spouse, you know, but the spouse got hurt and now i realize that i can still make amends for that so i expanded into beyond so uh, we just clean it up but my my response to you first is you've got to get clean with yourself and your god so that it comes so that when you speak you really are coming with love towards that person mm-hmm. so that you can speak from love and let god speak through you then then that's when you go to that person they they don't want to hear you just keep saying the same thing so that do your work on you
1: a, could be a long time between, you know, could Well, take it while. would be pray
2: but, but again, that prayer, resentment, fear, prayer, every time the thought enters your mind, you're praying. You might have to do that mm-hmm. 57 times a day. I don't, who cares? Maybe tomorrow mm-hmm. it'll only be 46. You're going to work really, really hard because you know it blocks you from, and you now are not able to be a back service to God and others. So you are going to put a lot of time and effort on it. If it's going to take a long mm-hmm. time, you set yourself up. It's, saying, well, it's going to take a long time. So oh, it's going to take a long time. It doesn't have to take a long time. That's not true. It doesn't have to be. That's your that's your attitude. If your attitude is what's going to take a long time, so oh well, it'll be really mm-hmm. slow. No, not mm-hmm. necessarily. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, with my mom, I didn't want to do it. That's why it took it took the time it did because I didn't really want to say I was sorry. When I was wanted to, in spite of me being at that c- at the cemetery and God, I'm cussing God. I still got it done because I, there I wanted to. So it comes from: Am I going to believe it's going to take forever, or am I going to decide, no, God, it's in Your hands, and I'm I'm putting everything into it today. I finally decided I'm letting it go. I'm I'm really praying and I'm really making it really the top of my list of things I got to do because it blocks you, and I I don't want anything to block you from serving, you know, the people as you serve through me. So I'm I'm going to make it a high priority and I'm going to put the time and effort into it. And you'll pick up the pace if you pick up the pace. Mm-hmm. thank you so much
0: thanks Jody E.Q. Esther C. your turn
5: good morning Ruth good morning Leah. nice to hear you on the line this morning Ruth, Ruth I wanted—I had two questions to ask you the first is um, you, you said that you mentioned making amends to all people for whom we had a resentment I was under the pressure with just the people we had harmed do you assume that anyone who resented sort of there were bad vibes and or something like that that's the first question and the second question is um i have a sponsor who you know did a lot of let's say work therapeutic work uh, you know before coming into program so we did you know she didn't feel we needed to do it and you know in the framework of the 12 steps i just wanted to know what your comment about that is thanks okay
2: um so if I never tell a person I'm resentful at them, but any and everybody that's in a room with me would know that, um, you know, including that person, I probably still need to make an amends. Um, okay. If the person has no idea and is, is clueless, then who am I telling that I'm, that I'm jealous or resentful or angry or whatever about that person? Chances are I'm probably not speaking well of that person to someone else. Probably mm-hmm. pretty high, I've probably not told nobody on the planet that I'm really, really uh, angry at some, that person. I probably have said something. So all mm-hmm. those people I've talked to, which is gossip, will I will make amends with all of them and not and agree not to gossip again about the person I'm angry at. And now I can say I've made amends, even though the person didn't know I was resentful. So if the person knows, I go directly to the person. If the person doesn't know, I go directly to everybody that I gossip to about my judgmental feelings. Mm -hmm. And then I make amends with them. And then that will make amends with the person who doesn't know. So that's how I would see to clean it up. And then if there's a a way to have a public setting where I could say something positively, genuinely, about the person in front of everybody else, I would do it if that's possible. Um, And on the second uh, point is... The person has gone to counseling. has gotten got some help. That's great, um, but did that person do the act of making amends with the individual? Because let's say I go to therapy and I talk a lot with a the therapist and I work out my hard feelings and blah and my behaviors. What I and I talk about it and I'm feeling a little better. That doesn't mean I made an amends to the person I harmed, though. It doesn't mean that. I mean, if the therapist was in 12 steps and they went through the procedure and they did that and, they actually, and the person did make an amends and followed through and, and did what was exactly a nice step because the therapist was actually a 12-step person and they did the whole procedure, I'd say, okay. But if you did not make an amends, um, then you didn't do a step nine. And the purpose of the 12 steps is to do each of the steps according to the big book. So in that situation, well, I know you feel better, but that doesn't mean the other person knows so I'll give you an example. I had a situation where I had a sponsoree, and uh, she had gotten back in the food, but she'd also go back in the alcohol, the cigarettes, the drugs, the uh, prostitution. She went all the way back in. And in that, she had a, she needed a lot of money to cost money. and um, And so what she did is she lied about, she just made something up that I never told her, to somebody else who was, uh, you know, uh, one of the uh, codependent types. Oh, woe is me, woe is me. My sponsor said blah, 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 uh, which I never did. So now that person has to rescue her from me because I'm doing such horrible things to her and then came in and then the sponsoree took her for what she could get out of her money and things because she needed, you know, she used her. So some time passed. The person came to me, my uh, now no longer sponsoree. And um, had, you know, the end the rescuer was going to have her sponsor her and all that. So when now my ex-sponsor he comes to me and says, "I'm sorry for what I did," blah blah blah, made an amends. Well, I didn't know everything she had done. I said, "Well, to make amends, you'll need to tell her the person she told the lie. You need to tell her that you lied about me to her. That will now make the amends." You see, it doesn't clean it up for me. Although I went on, and she never tells the other person. Fine, I'm moving on. But if you're going to make an amends and I know the harm you've done to me, it's not good enough to tell me you're sorry you did the harm. To be good enough, you have to go to the person you lied to and tell her, I, you know, I lied about Ruth because I, I was trying to get something out of her Or at minimum I was lying because Ruth never did that. She never said that. And I don't know if this woman looked at me and didn't say she was going to do it to me. She never did it. I don't know. It, it doesn't matter. But I was letting her know it's not good enough to just say I'm sorry but not clean it all up. So in the case of talking to a therapist, that's nice, but did she really clean it up with the person she harmed? She didn't. She still she needs did. to make step nine.
5: She feels that she didn't even have that person as a resentment anymore. Was it was an ex-husband. Didn't even show up as a resentment. No resentment, no harm. That was all cleaned up in some other framework, you know, a few years back.
3: But no, but, no. Does,
2: but did she harm the person at the time they were together and that person mm-hmm. needs to be told that? that she started for harming that person even though now she has no resentment. That's great. But if she actually harmed the person, mistreated the person in that relationship and never has gone to the person to say, I'm sorry for the harm I did cause you, then does she need to go and talk to that person to tell that person that she's, you know, she definitely was wrong in what she did to that person. That person may need to hear that even though she's fine with it because it's because it's a, I'm cleaning up what I did wrong to another. Like my sister, I could say I don't have any resentment. I don't, but you know what? I still need you to say, you know, I'm sorry. She needed okay. to hear it. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank
5: you. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Esther C. Ruth H., your question, please.
10: Thank you, Leah, and thank you, Ruth, for your awesome presentation and for sharing your name with me. Um, I can only hope that someday I'll be as well versed in the big book, but my question is on moving into, uh, moving a spons- uh, sponsoree into step 10. You know, I had been taught when there was nothing else I could do actively in making my amends, Um, I lived far away from where I grew up, so there was a time gap between when I could get back there to do the amends there, that I should go right into step 10. But I've heard others say that after the first couple of amends, you should get your sponsories right into step 10. Um, And I'm also wondering, in the example a few questions ago, when someone's praying for the willingness to make amends or for the... Um, ability to be kind and loving and making their amends, um, at that, in, in, in that piece of the puzzle, when would you move them into step 10? Thank you. Right.
2: Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I had, I, I've gotten that question. And so my point is where in the big book does it say that you don't have to complete this step and you can go ahead and go into the next step, that you just have to do some of it, and then you can go ahead and do the next. So imagine in step one where we could kind of halfway do step one, but we don't have to be entirely abstinent because we're kind of partially abstinent, and we'll get the rest later. Um, It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that on any of the steps. Does it ever say, okay, just do it partially, and uh, you'll get the rest of it later? No, you have a solid foundation of that step to go to the next step. So you need to complete nine before going to ten. At least I don't. I don't find in the big book where it's okay to just do half half of it. You got to have a solid step to put the next step on top of. Um, now it is true that let's say you're gonna you got some restrictions on finances and you're gonna see somebody in three months uh, on a trip, but you really don't have the finances to go see him right now you could call them and, and make the amends over the phone, knowing that you will, when you see them in person, you will make it a second time. You could say, you know, I just wanted to tell you this. Um, I'll be seeing you, you know, in the summer, you know, in June or something, and, you know, I'll, you know, and then we can talk some more. And so you've made the amends to the level you can, knowing you will complete it in June. You have done everything else. All your steps are done, but financially you cannot make it to do it face-to-face then yes, you could go on to 10 because now you have made the amends, but you're going to go ahead and do face-to-face like the big book says you need to do. So if you've done everything you can do, you have nothing more left. You've made every attempt you possibly can. You're still going to make an amends. Every person on the list you have to make an amends to of some sort. There has to be something done. And in the case of calling the person and making amends and you set it right with the person, um, yeah, at that point, yes, you could go because, this is April, and you've got two more months. So you could then start and go ahead and go on ten. But if you still got amends to make, and you haven't even done the work at all on these amends, then that, that energy will hang over you. And what happens, I find, is people kind of slow down and don't even work as fast as they would. We have um, you know, a race against time. It's true. We have to get through these steps. We have to do them thoroughly and well, as the big book tells us. So to get them done, get it done. You need to get to ten. Get them done. Get them done. Don't get them done when you feel like getting them done after you've done a few. No, I I just don't see that in the book any more than I see any other step. Well, step four, just do part of it. You can finish the, step, the fourth step later, you know, in later steps. Uh, no step is ever said that way. So, no, I I don't agree with that position because I, I don't find it in the big book, and I just have to do what the original hundred did. And if the original hunter did it one way, I think that's okay with me. So, no, I I would get all of them done, um, and it can be done. Once you so I got to get it done, I got to get to step ten. You got a lot more energy to get them done because you're not doing them when you feel like getting them done because you've already done a few. So,
10: great, thank you.
0: Thanks, Ruth H. Sue S. Your turn. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, Ruth, for your service. Um, I'm feeling very nervous. Um, Ruth, a question. I was, can you hear me? Yes. You can hear me? Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, Ruth, a gift was given to my mom that she never used. Um, She has since passed away, and I sold it to someone who needed it. They were extremely grateful, really grateful. Um, But I sold it to them. And I was okay until I was asked by a sponsor, not my L.A. sponsor, why I didn't pay it forward. And that's when I kind of, I can't get rid of the guilt. So I've been praying about it. I've held on to the money, and I'm not quite sure. I, I just want to know if you have any other suggestions. And,
2: yeah. The thing you're telling me is you have guilt. And so the question is, how come you have guilt? Let's say your mom gave it to you and said, hey, sell it if you want later. I don't know why I'd have guilt. She already told me it was fine to keep it or sell it. She didn't really care. So, okay. Uh, on the other hand, she gave it with express purpose that it never be uh, sold to anybody. And she said that and you would obviously, well, I did exactly the opposite of what she told me to do. So, the question is um, the passing of the item from your mom to you, under what conditions did that occur? And it was then
0: given, go ahead it was given to her by someone um it was It was medical equipment, and she she had one, so she never used it, so it sat in the house, and since then the person who owned it um, passed away, and the person who gave it to her moved away. And I'm here with a lot of a, med, a lot of medical equipment that I'm, you know, going to either give away or sell. And this particular item, someone actually needed it. Just, you know, they it just came out of the blue. Does anybody have one? I said yes. It's very expensive. They said, could you um, sell it to me? I did for, you know, amount an amount of money, not what it was worth. Um, and when I asked why didn't I pay it? For forward, I guess, um, because it was given to us, mm-hmm. so I didn't just pay it forward. Now, I do have tons of other medical equipment that I'm going to pay forward, and I have, but... Yeah, I guess,
2: so what I'm hearing you say is you're feeling guilty about it, that now, in, in the time you did it, it seemed to be okay, there was no problem with it, there was no bound to do it one way or the other by your mom, she got it, she gave it to you, and you could have given it away, or you could have gotten some money for it. Um, so again, it's within your heart you're feeling guilty. You feel that really because it was given to your mom that, and then given to you that you should give it away. That if you feel that was the right thing to do and you didn't do it, then you would make an amends because you know within you that it was wrong. Another person could say, you know, I'm, uh, you know, the situation, you know, financially is, you know, I'm really strapped. My family we're not even having having food to even get medicine for the kids and because of that need and, you know, in the giving of it, my mom would understand, then maybe that's a different situation. So I can't say it's one way or the other for all, each situation, but you personally today feel guilty that you didn't give it forward since it was given to your mom to give to you, and now you want to give it, and you didn't.
0: And you know, I actually didn't feel guilty until I was asked, why didn't I pay it forward? Like, okay, but, so you feel
2: guilty, but the point is you feel yeah. guilty today. Today yes. you feel guilty. You feel, you feel today that it's wrong that you took money for it? Is that what you're saying? Today you feel that. Not when you did it, but today you feel that way. Yes. Okay, then if you feel guilty today, you know it's wrong today. So today yes. you do something to correct that. So um, in a situation, the person that gave you the money, if you feel guilty, you can go to that person and say, you know, honestly, you know, um, I'm thinking about this, and, you know, this is the particular behavior I did. You know, I feel it would be more right now to not have taken the money from you, so I'd like to give you the money back that you gave me because I, I just don't feel right. That person says, no, no, really, I told you I wanted it. I'm not feeling anything, and in your discussion, you see feeling guilty because you've worked it out between that person and you. You both are on board. You all know the whole story of what happened, and at that point, okay, but if you really believe it was wrong, then you would go to the person and give the money back. And say she doesn't want it. She just doesn't want the money, but you still feel guilty. Well, can I then, uh, will you take the money and give it to charity? Would you be willing to do that? That would be the next request. And she says, mm-hmm. no, no, I really don't want it. And you go, can I give it, can I give it to the charity in your, na- in your name? Because I, I won't take my name on this. Will you let me do that? And she would maybe be okay with that. So you can find a way. You're feeling guilty. That means it's just not right now. And okay, it's just not right. So you will make it right by offering the money back to the woman or man that took the item. And then mm-hmm. you just keep working back until you get some type of an amends made. However it is closest to the harm, you you correct the behavior. You feel guilty today, so you clean up your guilt from today.
5: Okay. All right, great. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Sue S. And
0: our final question for today comes from Abby
9: B. Hi, this is Abby B from Maryland. Thank you very much, Ruth. And uh, I'm somebody who's worked the program not thoroughly over a long time. Um, I was in relapse and I came back and I did a fourth and fifth step. Um, Then I had some mental health difficulties that have really impeded. But and, and then in January, I realized that I was abusing caffeine and soda, and I put that down, and since then, I've made some false starts with uh, Big Book Vision sponsors, and I've been in, but the question is, this: I, I, I did a very thorough fourth and fifth step and did some six and seven step work last year, but now I'm just beginning again. I've decided that I really need to work with a Big Book sponsor because putting down this this um, caffeine and soda, so um, but I'm finally starting again this week, and I guess my question is, how do I deal with the fact that I have this, you know, all my all my defects are in my face. I have made some amends last year, but it's just kind of muddled. Do you think I should just set the set that list that a step list aside right now as I hopefully quickly go through the big book, or should I continue to make amends? And I'm going to mute myself. Thank you. Okay.
2: Yeah. So you mentioned that you're going, you said you're going to start over. You're going to start over, which means step one. So if you have, right. So it should not take you forever to get through the steps up to eight, nine. If you're working with somebody, go through step one. You've already taken step one. Let's say it. you're in your entire action been entirely absent for a while. Well, you should get it done in just a couple of days. You don't have to go through detox and withdraw and we're not even half here. So, it wouldn't take you forever, but you would still start at one, and because now you want to pick up any loose ends, any straggle ends, any things that would not have been picked up from before, so you're going to bring it all forth. So, when you come to eight and nine, you will have everything you need to now do eight and nine right, because you've now done it with that sponsor. Well, you could talk it with a sponsor, it's up between you and her, but usually when I, uh, let's say I get somebody like that out, we just start at one and we go through it, and, and they learn some things maybe they didn't know, and they then that cleans those that things up so that gets it even a better 8 and 9 when you get to 8 and 9 so if you're in great shape it shouldn't take you very long you should be able in a month to get through all of that and be up to 9 you know really because it just takes a few days on each step if that's where you are so why not take that and get that done and get it really good and solid and responsive thanks very much
0: thank you Abby B, and thank you to everyone who posed questions this morning And, of course, thank you to our speaker, Ruth M., for your generous time, spirit, service, and all your helpfulness this morning on a very important topic. Thanks so much, Ruth. Again, today's share ID, 11300. That's 11,300. We're going to close from page 164, found in a chapter entitled, A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it